Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm glad you're with us for another of our Grace Stories in the Grace Stories series. We have a good one today. In fact, the stories uh, that you hear, but people will identify with them different stories in different ways, I'm sure. Uh, and sometimes people tend to think of we who are in ministry, so to speak, full time, maybe we call it vocational ministry. Maybe maybe people think we're born of immaculate conception or something that we, we, had, no, we had no past, no problems, uh, no sin issues. And yet uh, that is not true. And you're going to see that in our story today when we talk to my friend Jeremy Vance. So let's say hi to Jeremy. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Charlie. Well, we're glad to have you. I can't wait to hear your story. I've heard some of it. But uh, let, let me introduce you a little bit uh, with background. Uh, Jeremy has a wonderful wife named Jill and four children and two grandchildren, one on the way. And he has recently, well, his last spring, finished his doctor of ministry in uh, the area of preaching delivery. So uh, we're going to expect some good sermons from him in the future. He's pastoring Faith Church in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. I've been there. Wonderful people, wonderful church. And he's been there over 16 years. And he can catch bigger fish than me. So I bow to him. <laughs> How much did that catfish weigh? That catfish was 47 inches and 45 pounds. 45 pounds. So it was 44 pounds bigger than the fish I caught that day. <laughs> <laughs> and a half. <laughs> that, was, that was quite a memorable experience watching watching Jeremy wrestle with Jonah's whale. Um, Felt like it. Felt like we needed a bigger boat. Well, Jeremy, you haven't been pastor all your life. What What did you do before you pastored? Well, I had. I was. Um, I went through eighteen jobs from mm. high school all the way till I was in the ministry. So I've done a lot of things. But uh, after high school, I didn't know what I was doing, and I ended up going to a an academy for travel business and i ended up working in a hotel i worked at a holiday inn as a front desk clerk and then as an auditor and wondering if hotel business was for me and then it was at that time that uh i gave my life to christ and uh to tell my whole testimony i've got to go before that time but uh, i gave my life to christ and knew i had to do whatever the next job was to get out of a debt, which you'll hear how I got into a debt, get out of a debt that uh, I incurred and then um, start saving for college because I felt if I'm going to tell people about the Bible, I need an education because I don't have one. Mm -hmm. um, and so I... Well, so let's uh, get that out of the way. So what was your Bible? What was your ministry education path? Because I already told the end of it. Well... A recent doctorate. Well, back uh, when I was thinking I needed an education if I'm going to teach the Bible, um, I went to 
uh, Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, which is a small Christian college, Reformed Church College. And uh, I actually graduated with a religion degree from a Reformed Church College, but I was pre-millennial and it, it kind of frustrated the professors because I was an older student. I was five years out of high school before I started college. And I um, was reading side stuff when they would give me covenant theology. I would read premillennial dispensational theology also. And I was weighing them because I think I was an older student, married at the time when I went to college. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little more settled down too and really into it. And so bachelor's degree in religion from Northwestern, master's degree from Phoenix Seminary in Phoenix, Arizona. And then a, uh, and that's a master's of divinity, and then a, a doctorate of ministry, like you mentioned, from Grace School of Theology. Uh, this past May, I graduated. Well, that's great, and congratulations again to you. It's good to get that behind you. And uh, you've written some books. We'll talk about and mention those later. But let's let's back it up then and tell us about uh, how you were raised. You said you you came to know the Lord later in life. Uh, you teased us a little bit about. You would tell us how that happened. So where's the story begin for you? Yeah, I am a middle child of nine children, four older than me, four younger than me, uh, four brothers, four sisters. Mm. And we grew up in a modest home. My dad was an engineer and he uh, was a single parent. Uh, my my parents were married, but he was the only income for, the, for this family, this big family. And so we, I would picture we were... I would say lower middle class in our status in the world. And because I was sort of lost in the middle of all the kids, I had a lot of alone time and stuff. But um, when I was 13, uh, we were living outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Billy Graham came to County Stadium at the time and where the Milwaukee Brewers play. And my dad's like, we're going the whole time. We're going to go to every single night that Billy Graham is doing his crusade down at County Stadium. So we went down to County Stadium, and uh, I don't remember what day of the week it was, but one of the messages that Billy Graham gave was on John three sixteen, And he said, you put your name in there where it says the world. God so loved, you know, Charlie, for God so loved Jeremy. You you put your name in there. And he he came because he loves you so much. And if you put your faith in him, he'll have eternal life. Hmm. Well, uh, if you remember, some of you listening, I know will remember that um, they would play the song just as I am and everybody would come forward and then Billy Graham would pray over you. And supposedly a counselor was supposed to come to you and just confirm that you're, you know, you understand the gospel. Well, I'm standing down there right near second base out on uh, the field, which I was loving as a 13 year old kid, you know, that's where the Milwaukee Brewers but no counselor came to me and I, every, everybody started going back to their chairs. So I went back to my chair and a couple days later, my older sister, her name is Anne. She asked me, did you, did you trust Jesus the other night with Billy Graham? I go, I, I don't know. And then, so she shared the gospel with me and she said, no, when you go to bed tonight, you just put your faith in Jesus and, and you trust that he died for your sins and rose to give you eternal life. And if, if you put your faith in him, you can know that if you die tonight, you're going to go to heaven. And so when I was 13, all by myself in my bed, I I trusted him. Back then, we associated a prayer with that, you know, and I talked to talked to Jesus, and I know I put my faith in him. And really was 
wanting to follow him, wanting to serve him, wanting to know him. You so from 13 to heart and your, in your intentions. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when I was 16, I was like left out of all the fun that my friends were doing. Uh, and when I asked why they said, well, you don't drink and you don't party and you're, you know, you're, you're holier than thou and all that kind of stuff. And so I, uh, I'm like, Hey, I can party. And <laughs> so I, I, uh, I really turned my back on, on Jesus at, at 16. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's where I got into a lot of, by the grace of God, I never went to jail <laughs> by the grace of God. That's one way of I saying. never had a, like a car accident where I hurt anybody, but I got steeped into drugs and alcohol and cigarette smoking. And just to give our listeners a little bit of a detail and even you, Charlie, I, I, um, I, uh, I had about a $400 a week Coke habit. I was snorting cocaine. Uh, and the way that I subsidized my habit is, uh, nowadays you'd call it a mule. You deliver stuff. You right. don't really know what you're delivering. You deliver it. So I would deliver these packages. I'd put them in, I'd take them from one place and put them in another. And, uh, and I could get Coke for 10 cents on the dollar. So I was feeling great about that uh, in my drug induced time. And I smoked a lot of pot and I drank a lot of alcohol and I partied. And my motto was, hey, try everything once. And if you like it, do it again. Hmm. And the only line that I wouldn't cross was I'm never going to stick myself with a needle. So I, I was like, that's just not where I'm going. And, you know, people who are like drug addicts today. And I would tell them that story. They'd say, well, you were recreational. You were a recreational drug addict. I'm like, okay, whatever you want to label me uh, for, for four years of my life, I was totally stiff arming God. I didn't want him around. I wanted to party. I wanted to have fun. Uh, I was kind of the life of the party because I had the, the drugs for people. I never, I never dealt drugs really. I wasn't like, Hey, I'll buy it for this and sell it for that. I never did that, but I always had it available. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I was deep into the drug world. Uh, just to give one quick story, um, I was going to pick up some drugs uh, with a with a, a friend of mine, and we went into this apartment. And so you walk in the apartment. I'm not really sure what I'm what I'm seeing. Uh, I walk into this apartment, and there's this couple. They're sitting on a couch. It's kind of dark, and they're watching pornography on the TV. And we walk past them. And we go to the kitchen and we open up the kitchen door and there are literally bricks of Coke, like on the table, bags of pot behind, and they're weighing it out. It's like a major assembly happening where they're just, you know, distributing, getting drugs ready to sell. And the dude that's behind the scale stands up and it was the brother of the friend that I was with. And he's like, hey, who's this? And I'm like, I'm nobody. I don't see anything. And he starts saying, we got to pop them. We got to pop them, which is like, we got to, he can't see this. He can't see what we're doing here. And he can't be a witness against it. And got to pop them. I interpret it as they got to get rid of me. Yeah. Because I saw them. 
a major drug deal going, you know, happening, a major drug production thing happening. And I'm like, I see nothing. And I literally turned around, ran out the door, ran out the apartment. I'm running over to my car. I'm like, I am totally out of here, leaving my friend behind. He comes running out after me. Hey, it's no problem. Let's just get out of here. And he, you know, he hops in the car with me and we take off. But I was like, that was a moment that I was like, where in the world is my life going? Yeah. I'm 20 years old. What in the world am I doing? This is insanity. And, and it wasn't too long after that, that I was high on Coke and marijuana. I had alcohol in my system and I'm in bed and I, I remembered when I used to talk to God before I went to sleep at night, I hadn't talked to God in a long time Mm -hmm. and I was higher than a kite. And I just said, Hey God, what's up? And I'm telling you what, this intense, huge fear came over me. And it was like this, I wouldn't say it was an audible voice, but it was like, how dare you try to come into the holiest of holies, come into my presence in the state of mind you're in? Mm. How dare you try to talk to me in the state of mind you're in? That was what came over me. And I was so, I just, it just hit me like, I have been, you know, thumbing my nose, I'll put it nicely, thumbing my nose at God. I have been totally turning my back on him. And he has every right to take me out of this world. Like, I don't, scary. I have. That was scary to you. Yeah, I have, I have disgraced him with my life is how I felt like Mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. I was afraid of God. I was afraid he's going to take me out and he has every right to, because, because of how I've been living and how I totally am not doing anything that he wants me to be doing with my life. So, and so I stayed probably a turning point then was that a turning point? It was a hundred percent a turning point. So I, I stayed up that whole night and just when you take drugs, and you combine like pot and coke, whatever, not to get into too many of the details, but you you have a high high, but then you crash hard and you like can't stay awake or whatever. Well, I was so afraid uh, that I never fell asleep. I'm like, there's no way I'm falling asleep. If I fall asleep, I just might not wake up. That's and I felt like I had to reconcile with God. I had to I had to say I'm sorry, but I can't say it when I'm wasted. So I literally stayed up. I remember the sun coming up the next morning and I'm in my bed and I just finally decided, I think I'm clear headed enough. And it was that morning that I just said, God, I am so sorry for my life. I'm so sorry for, for how I've been living, how I've been not at all wanting you around and you want me to live for you. And I used to, and I'm not anymore. And I want to come back. I want to come back and asked him to take me back. And I gave my life to Jesus that morning. I surrendered to him. I was 20 years old, surrendered to him. And honestly, I never did another line of coke. Hmm. After that, wow. 
and was offered because I was in the world. I was offered it. I I took one hit, like just one suck on a joint, and said no. And I never smoked pot after that. Amazing. Well, uh, two amazing. things that had the two things. What's that? Amazing or miraculous? Both. Yeah, because I was I was hooked. I mean, clinically, I was an addict. Um, now let me but, ask you this because uh, you, it, for you then at age 20, it was more of a prodigal son experience returning to his father, not so much a salvation experience. Am I right about that? Because you don't sound like you're questioning yeah. your earlier salvation. That's absolutely correct. I I know that, a matter of fact, I know that when I was in that drug world, in that party world, I knew God was always there. Like I knew that he was in the background of my life. I don't ever feel, I had never felt like he was, like he abandoned me. I know that I was abandoning him, but I never felt like I, like he abandoned me. Like he knew, I knew he was there and I just kept pushing him away. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah. And then, um, you know, the alcohol and the cigarettes, they had a strong hold on me. And just to give you a, a small illustration of that, um, well, I'm like, I got to go back to church. I got to get involved in church. And, and cause I was like, well, if I'm going to give my life to Jesus now, what, what, what do I need to do? And I was, I was living on my own. I mean, I was all out on my own and I thought, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I got to go to church. So mm-hmm. I went back home to church and, um, there's a there's a bit of a timeline here, but just to give you an idea of how alcohol still had a, a grip on me, I got involved in ministry after a while. And so I would like get drunk on Saturday night, go out drinking on Saturday night, and Sunday morning come home or go to church and, and teach a Sunday school class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is not it's not it's not right. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, there was a time and I think God got a hold of me. I was I was teaching a high school Sunday school class, and I was out partying the night before. It's a small little church I was involved in, and unbeknownst to me, they decided to give me a thank you at church for starting up this youth group and being involved in this these kids' lives. And so, I have people who drink know this. I had like morning mouth the next day, like bad breath. And you just know, Oh, I don't really want to get too close to people. And, uh, they give me this. Thank you. They gave me a vines concordance or a vines dictionary. dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. And I still have it in my, on my bookshelf. And, um, everybody's coming up and hugging me and thanking me for all this stuff. And I'm like, this is embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. Another moment, I think, where God was like, Jeremy, who's going to, who's going to be the Lord of your life? Hmm. Who's, who's the one that you're going to follow? And are you, you can't be sort of in two worlds. Hmm. And that was a wake up. Now that was, that was where, okay, I'm not going to get drunk. And, and, uh, I didn't. I don't, I don't remember exactly if it was right after that, but shortly thereafter, it was like, nope, alcohol will not have sway over me anymore. Mm-hmm. And then cigarettes are a whole other story that God took cigarette smoking away from me too. Let's just put it that way. So, okay. so yeah, it was, 
It was a prodigal son story for sure, Charlie. Well, uh, let's talk about the prodigal son story. I'm curious about your father and mother, what what they're thinking and going through at this time. Are they watching you? They know what's going on? Well, to add to the chaos of my life at that time, when I was 18, so 16, right, I go into the drug scene, 18, my parents are having marital struggles, and my dad comes to live with me. So my my mom and dad are separated. My dad's living with me. He's in the party scene with me. He's not nearly as deep into it as I am, but he's 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 out to the bars with me and everything. And my thing with my dad was, well, you can come to live with me if you do everything you can to get back with mom. Mm-hmm. But he was having so much fun out in the party scene with me <laughs> that I, this is a part of the craziness of that time period. I actually kicked him out of my apartment. I'm like, well, you're not living up to your end of the bargain and you can't live here anymore. Mm. And that escalated into... Him, him basically partying with all my old friends when I'm trying at 20, when I'm I'm coming back to the Lord and he's out partying with my friends. And I'm like so angry, and there's a lot behind this, so angry at him that I literally told him to his face, I disown you as my dad. Wow. You are not my dad anymore. And I hate you. I mean, I told him I hated him, which is pretty intense. That's a whole another avenue of all this crazy stuff going on in my life. But, you know, I'll I'll add this to that. And I don't want to over-spiritualize things, but this is truth. This is just my experience. I was reading the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews 13, I'll have to flip to it to make sure. I think it's verse 4 in the middle of the verse or toward the end of the verse. And you can maybe help me with this, Charlie, if you remember. But the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh And I... I have it right here. I, I don't want to. Um, okay. It's verse six, actually. Right. Or verse uh, verse five, Hebrews 13, five. He himself has said, I will never leave, desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. And when my dad and mom were, were separated and all my siblings and my dad comes to live with me, my, my dad in the, in the, in the, in, the mo- in that moment, was the the bad guy in the family. Everybody's mad at my dad and, mm. you know, empathizing with my mom. So I'm all of a sudden associated in a sense with the bad guy in the family. And my siblings were like laying that on me too. Like, mm. you're just enabling dad. You're just, you know, you're, you're the bad guy too. You're not helping this whole family scenario out. So I didn't have my siblings at that time. I didn't have... Um, my mom and dad, because I had my dad for a while, but when I was came back to the Lord, he's still in the party scene and he's like, Hey, I'm hanging out with your friends. I'm not hanging out with you. And I got to a place where it's like, you don't even want to hang out with me. And this is how it escalated over time to where we just, I just, just I was so broken. Well, you know, so I had hits me about the irony of that is you're coming back to the Lord who never forsook you. And now you're renouncing your father, forsaking him. But you had some growing to do. But even having known your father, knowing him, um, it's hard to imagine this about, about that that past. But yeah, I hope we I know that we don't have a, we don't have a ton of time, but there is a redemption story that you know about, Charlie, how my dad and I have a really good relationship today. Yes, you do. 
But I will say this, just to close the loop on this uh, idea that what God did in that time, I had no friends because they were all in the party scene. I had no siblings. I had no parents. I remember thinking, I don't, all I have is my dog. I had my dog in my Bible. That was the moment. But when it, when it was so intense, that half second half of that verse in Hebrews 13, 5, left off the page at me. Like God was saying, listen, everybody else has and can forsake you. They can turn their back on you, but I will never forsake you. And just like to your point, I forsake my dad <laughs> and he was forsaking me. And, and yet God never does. And so that moved that verse from my head into my heart. Mm-hmm. And that was at about 20 years old, roughly. And that still carries me all these years later that God will never leave me. He'll never forsake me, and he loves me. And the idea of his wonderful grace in my life, I, the fact that I'm even talking with you on a podcast is only because of his richness that he pours out on me that I clearly don't deserve. Yeah. How did grace become more central to your life uh, as you grew as a Christian? I mean, did you always have a deep, deep appreciation of grace? Because I know now that you're quite committed to the gospel of grace and what it means to be free grace. Um, And we'll talk about, you know, that and the free grace Alliance later, but uh, how did you grow in that appreciation? Well, I mean, from the very beginning when I was 20 and I came back and I was afraid to come back, I was like, he's so disgusted with me, but he, it was like this overwhelming sense of peace and this overwhelming sense, like, I remember like my early prayers were like, everything's going to want to pull me away from you, Lord. So I just need your strength to, to not go back to that old lifestyle. And I mentioned how I stopped doing drugs and I, he took drinking out of my life and he took all that, all that stuff out. And he took this destructive path that I was on. He changed the path for me. I cannot, I cannot explain my life apart from his goodness. and. Then the fact that I'm a pastor now and I'm preaching the word to people and I'm talking to you and I'm a part of the Free Grace Alliance and I have, you know, like you mentioned, those books and stuff. There, I don't, there's, there, there is zero that I deserve any of that. Mm-hmm. It's only because he's so, he overflows with this richness. Mm-hmm. Well, in me, <laughs> he's just so incredibly generous. Even though life hasn't been always easy, I keep seeing how he overflows with his goodness in my life, and he continues to do it. I mean, yeah. Amen. There's so many people listening right now that think that they're stuck in a a really a life that's really, uh, I hate to use the word sucks, but that's what they're thinking. And, And they have no conception of the kind of life that God has in store for them. If they would only trust in Christ as their Savior, and then serve him as Lord, and uh, and not a life of servitude, but it's a, it's a life of uh, excitement and uh, gratitude, and it's a love relationship. And I, I think that's what I hear you describing, but there's so many people that are just standing on the edge of that kind of life if they would only, if they would only place their faith in Christ as their Savior. They would experience yep. that. Absolutely. Now, so. Um, so you're you're you have a 
passion, obviously, for people, or you wouldn't be in the ministry because you have to have a passion for people to be in the ministry. <laughs> Working with people is not always a lot of fun, is it? And I know you've had your share of, of trials and so forth. Um, what are the, what is the great passion that drives you in your ministry today? Ooh, that's a that's a big question. How do you how do you narrow it down? I, I would, I mean, I, I I sincerely have to say God's abundant goodness uh, to me and how He wants to the very thing you just said. If people would just understand. Um, the, the surrendered life to him is not the easy life. It's not, it's not, you know, peaches and cream. And yet he's faithful. He's, he's faithful and he's, he, he is giving and he continues to offer hope. And I, I think, I think my big drive is to help people understand this book, the Bible, uh, help people understand that God has given us this book. And as I first heard from Howard Hendricks years ago from a book that he wrote, <laughs> uh, that this is God's love letter to us. And I, that's how I read it. I, no matter if I'm reading uh, the book of Numbers, which is just a bunch of people, <laughs> Or if I'm reading the Gospel of John or whatever, uh, it is, it's his love letter to to us, and it's so relevant. That I think has been my drive. So I'm 20 years old. I surrendered to the Lord. I said I got to go to church and I got to start reading the Bible. Um, and so when I started reading the Bible at 20, I was like, this is so relevant. This is this is my life. This is this speaks to what the world is all about. And I was like, I got to tell somebody. That's why I started doing this youth group. Like, can I come and start a youth group, even though yeah. I'm still <laughs> sort of in between two worlds? Mm -hmm. And and uh, the the pastor was gracious enough to let me. And and I started. I didn't know how to teach the Bible. I just was like reading it and telling people, see what it says here. Look at what it says here, kind of a thing. And so that is still my driver today. I think my my big drive is that people need to hear the word of God, they, they need to hear how it is powerful and how it is living and active and how God really has given us this rich blessing to understand who he is, to understand what the world is all about, to understand his wisdom, to understand how people relate to one another and how we're to relate to him. And I, I just find myself always amazed at the scriptures. Um, currently, I'm doing a series in our, in our church through the book of Ecclesiastes, Good. and I just find it so rich. Every time, every time, wherever I'm at in the Bible, as I dig into it and prepare to preach it, I just find it to be so wonderful. And the Spirit of God working in the pre through the preaching of the Word and uh, and the teaching of the Word, for that matter, uh, just amazing how the Spirit of God works in the lives of people. The, shine his light in, on their life as they're hearing the word preach. So Amen. I think that's that's a big well, driver for me. You mentioned your sermons. Um, I'm sure that they're on your website. You must have a website. You want to mention it? We'll put it in the text. Yeah, well, it's a nice long website. <laughs> we'll Faith, all right. FaithChurchManitowoc.org. Faith Church 
Manitowoc is M-A-N-I-T-O-W-O-C dot O-R-G. Good. They can look at the text and get that. Um, so they can hear your sermons. I know you've worked hard on, on preaching well, and I appreciate that. I like to, I always enjoy listening to you. And uh, that's, so you're working on your dissertation, I'm sure has only helped that. But you also are a writer. You've written a couple books, one on Hebrews and one on John. Um, what's the name of the book on Hebrews? Companions with Christ. And that is a walk through the book of Hebrews and really how to walk in step with the Lord uh, as his companion, you know, that we're working alongside of him and what he's doing in the world. And if you read through the book of Hebrews, it's not just about a companion for today, but really preparing us to be his companion for forever. So that's uh, Companions with Christ. And there's a study guide in the back. So it's good for like small group discussions and stuff right. like that. And then the, and then yeah. your book on John. John, Jesus. Called John G- yep. John, Jesus and me. That is uh, when, when I think about people who are either babies in the Lord or wondering about what Christianity is all about. Uh, I, I've taken 11 different passages out of the Gospel of John and and targeted um younger believers people who are um relative either young believers or even unsaved and it's uh, the structure of the book is um where you read a little bit and you reflect a little bit you read a little bit and you reflect a little. so you're not just kind of reading it quick it slows you down to kind of help you to ponder sort of well where am i at with jesus and and really to distinguish between the free gift of eternal life, we're adopted into his family freely. We, we, we can't do anything that makes us earn it, but it is a relationship. And so how Jesus wants us to invest in that relationship. Um, and so that's what John Jesus and me is about. It's really about helping us understand what this relationship is all about and how to have a, a real meaningful relationship with the Lord Jesus. And they can find those books on Amazon. Yep, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, any place okay. you can. Uh, and I also want to mention that you are currently the president of the Free Grace Alliance and have been for several years. And um, are you lead the board of directors and are our director in uh, implementing the goals, the vision of the Free Grace Alliance? Um, how's that experience going for you? And and why don't you add on to that? why people should be interested in Free Grace Alliance and join it. Yes, well, that's fantastic. You give me the opportunity to talk about that. It's uh, So the Free Grace Alliance, uh, there are members really from around the globe that are uh, in the alliance, and it's really taking everybody who um, is passionate about preserving the pure, original gospel that the scriptures uh, speak about um, or that the, they lay out, I should say. Uh, the reality is the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose to give us the gift of eternal life and that that life is a relationship with him starts today and lasts forever. Um, that once we are Adopted into God's eternal family, he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. 
and he is our seal and our guarantee. And once you're adopted, you can't become unadopted. You can't lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved forever or to the uttermost, as the scriptures say. Yeah. And, and, um, and so a, a Christian can have eternal security. And out of that eternal security, the feeling of, of assurance of our salvation and the free grace alliance really is um just that it's an alliance of people who really want to preserve and promote the pure original gospel unadulterated might be a bigger way to say it but the idea that it's pure and it's and it's not confused with works and that there's a distinction between salvation by faith alone in Christ alone um and so I, I am, I've been of the president of the board for a while, like you say, and, and uh, it's a great alliance. We really have like a three-legged stool of the alliance, like three different legs that sort of we want to try and build bridges with. And one is the education leg, like Bible colleges, seminaries, uh, graduate schools that are promoting the gospel. And then the other leg is the missions leg, um, people that are involved in parachurch ministries and things, and then the church leg, and really taking you know the local church and bringing these three legs together because we're stronger together. We when we're interdependent with one another, we can I think bring this pure gospel to the world in a more profound way, and 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 we have each other to encourage each other and spur each other on and and uh, equip each other uh, for the furtherance of the gospel of God's wonderful grace. Amen. And the way to the way to figure out if you want to become a member, yeah, absolutely. We would love that. We have two different memberships. One is an individual membership and the other is an institutional membership. And that's like if you have a church or a organization that you want as an institution to be a member, of the Free Grace Alliance, you can do that, or individual membership, and you can just go to our website, freegracealliance.com, and uh, you can find all the information you need to find on our website. Well, great. I appreciate you sharing that. Jeremy, I know there's a lot of things more you could have told us about in your past life. (laughs) Maybe there's a lot of things you wouldn't want to tell us about, but we get the drift. We get the drift that God's grace has done a wonderful thing in your life to bring you from a confused, drug-addicted teenager to a pastor who's making a great influence on his congregation, on the world, through the FGA, on his family, and and through his literature and your messages. Um, I really appreciate you. Well, thank you, Charlie. And I'm not trying to flatter you, but I really appreciate you too. You, the, God places people, when I say how good God has been in my life, he clearly places particularly men in my life that I consider mentors to me and people I can turn to for wisdom, people I can turn to for just uh, spurring me on or helping me correct my path or whatever, or getting just just speaking into my life. And uh, you mentioned I went through a, some hard stuff in ministry and you were one of those voices that I turned to and you continue to be a voice in my life as a mentor of mine. And I'm I'm very thankful that the Lord has uh, created our friendship and and uh, our our own alliance in this bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. So I'm I'm very thankful for you, Charlie. I really am. Well, I could I'm thankful for you, and I could reciprocate with the same 
uh, thoughts about mentorship with you too. So I do appreciate you and proud of you for what you've done. Um, I'm proud of what God's done through you. Let's put it that way. So thanks for being with us today, Jeremy. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Amen. Well, it's great to hear Jeremy's story. And you know what God has done for Jeremy, God can do for anybody that finds himself in a tight spot, in a bad place, and addicted to something, neglected, alone, uh, worried, fearful. Uh, all of those things are answered by the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Jeremy explained, who came and paid for our sins <clears throat> so that we don't have to pay for them and showed us that we don't have to try to earn our way into God's favor, but he gives us his righteousness based on his son's righteousness, Jesus, who rose from the dead and promises us eternal life if we just believe in him. Would you believe in him today? It's as simple as that. There's no hoops to jump through, no reformation of your life that needs to be made. It's trusting in God's promise that he will save you today and save you forever uh, and place your faith in him. And then share this podcast with others because there's others who need to hear Jeremy's message and the message of uh, the Simply by Grace podcast and the message of the Free Grace Alliance, which I hope you check out. Share it, uh, make some comments with us, and don't forget to join us again for our next Grace story. So until all here, grace and peace to you. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.